From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police officers raises questions about internalized racism. I visit a classroom where students are talking about it. It could really happen to anybody. Black, white, Mexican, Indian, pretty much anybody. I guess the system is just filled with this power of domination over lower people. And I feel like this should just like help us come together instead of continue to pull us apart. So I just want to see change within our society. How Nichols' death is touching young people in Colorado and the people trying to teach them. I think when we have an opportunity, especially in teaching history, is that we are actually living through history, every experience, everything that happens. So this particular moment, I really wanted to provide a space for them to listen both to each other and for us to have this conversation. I'm Lucy Womack, and I donated my camper van to CPR. We'd bought it when we were very young and very poor, but since then it had become a bit of a collector's item. And rather than go to the hard work of finding someone to buy it, we thought it would be better to donate it. I mean, when you're that attached to a vehicle, even though it's an inanimate object, you kind of just don't want to sell it to a random person. So donating to a resource that we depend greatly on helped a lot. It was easy to do at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police officers has once again ignited plenty of emotions and sparked conversations about excessive force and the need for changes in policing nationwide. But what about the emotional toll of watching or even just hearing about an unarmed man, young black man, getting beaten to death on video by police officers of the same race. I recently visited with a class at Delta High School, an alternative school in Denver, to hear what some young people are saying about this emotional case. And as you might imagine, their feelings were raw, honest, and reflective. So I'm Jameer. I'm a senior. Um, I'm Najee. I'm a junior. And uh, you are two young African-American men. Yes, ma'am. What comes to mind for you when you hear what happened to Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee? So, like, at the end of the day, it kind of all starts back to how slavery, you know, started. And over time, it gradually got more complex. And so there's always going to be an opinionated hierarchy in the uh, police system. So there's always going to be there people who kind of defend the people who are making mistakes and there's going to be the people who protect the citizens, right? So um, his case was definitely sad, but the police are going to have their backing for this situation. And there's going to be the black group that, you know, supports him and for the situation he was put into. And then there's going to be the um, cops who, you know, stand on their ground for him. But it's going to be like even ties. It's not going to just be one side being supportive to the other. So the, the case is going to, I don't know, it's going to stick and it's going to keep continuing. Sadly. Najee? Um, to kind of build off him, I like how it's going to kind of continue. I feel like if we don't break the old habits that we have with the police department and we continue to keep sweeping it under the wreck, nothing's going to change. And, you know, being a black male myself in society, knowing that it's scary to, like, walk down the street by yourself and stuff, which shouldn't be, you should be able to feel protected, safe. Especially, you know, in your own country, your state. It's like... We shouldn't have to be scared of the police, but 
I think we should use this as like a reminder to keep fighting for what's right for us and like to not back down and give up. Well, your teacher, Ms. Damon, is really focused a lot on feelings, like tuning into what you are feeling. So you mentioned, Najee, fear and feeling fear. So what is it that you feel knowing about cases like this? That that could be me. Like I could be walking home one day and get racially profiled and it could be over just like that, you know? It's just not a sense of security which doesn't sit right with me if you're our safety. It's supposed to keep us safe. Where were you when you first heard about the Tyree Nichols case? I was at home. And but what went through your mind? I was just sad for him and his family because it happens way too often, especially to our people. And I feel like this should just like help us come together instead of continue to pull us apart. So I just want to see change within our society. Let's bring you in, Jameer. Where were you when you first heard of the Nichols case, and how did you feel? I mean, the situation was kind of spread through ear. I heard it from another person. Yeah, it was pretty sad, because that is dangerous, but at the same time, it could really happen to anybody. Black, white, Mexican, Indian, pretty much anybody. I guess the system is just filled with this power of domination over lower people that aren't in the government system and they feel they can kind of like control but it's definitely appalling that kind of counters back to black people and how it just started you know you think it can happen to anyone or do you think this has something to do with specifically who Tyree Nichols was as a person it really just kind of matters with the person but it really could be both ways it could happen to anybody, but it could be the people that were specifically there at the moment were racist or prejudiced or feeling some sort of hierarchy over the guy, which was sad, but it happened. Well, how did you feel when you knew the details of what happened? Hurt. He could have been my brother. He could have been my uncle. He could have been a friend. So everybody in his circle had to go through his situation. So Jameer and Najee, did you watch the video? Yeah, I did not. You did not? Neither one of you. Najee, why didn't you watch it? Honestly, I don't know, but like, I feel like it would have made me uncomfortable watching it. Like, I just couldn't bear to watch it for Like, to see, like hearing the details about it already, I was just like uncomfortable about seeing it. Especially like, seeing somebody in my race going through that too. And it's like, not even about race, but just seeing people in general go through that, especially from somebody who's supposed to protect us, just doesn't sit right with me. What about George Floyd's video? Did you watch the video of that? Nah, I heard about that one too, though. Jameer, did you watch the video and why or why not? I also haven't seen it, but I mean, I don't know. I just never kind of looked it up, but I'm pretty sure it was very sad. Now, did you watch the George Floyd video? Yeah, I also didn't watch that. You didn't watch it? Yeah, no. What did you think would happen if you watched it? What kind of reaction do you think that would Anger. Anger. Yeah. Depression. I don't know. Both of you mentioned mental health, depression, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people would even add anxiety to that. You know, just seeing blue lights in your rearview mirror, getting nervous. Um... 
Can you speak on that aspect of it? Do you feel that that has affected you See, as you move around society? Yeah. See, actually, yesterday I was driving home from work at night, and I'm noticing how bright the car is, and it like almost made me wreck. I'm realizing they're putting a lot of money into their, you know, cars and other stuff that the system should not be having. Other things more important, like maybe teachers. Um, it stays on my mind. It kind of makes me be more careful in society, like how I'm talking, walking, dressing, stuff like that. It kind of makes me just think about how I'm going to dodge a bullet. Leaving the house, so I can make it back. Give me some examples of things you do to feel like you're helping yourself not be targeted. Um, Stay inside at night. I don't like to hide my face too much, like, in public, like, hoodies and stuff. I don't do that too often. Um, like, with the way I talk, it's, like, way more proper than, like, at home when I'm in, outside in society. Just how I could appeal to that image that they want us to have. It kind of feels like walking outside, I can't breathe free. Or, like, I'm scared to, you know? So, you both talked about you don't believe things will really change anytime soon. Is well, that a fair assessment? For sure. Like, I know that there's people who's trying to change the situation, but there's a big, a bigger major group that, you know, doesn't really care. And they'd rather stick to their same circumstance. So, Najee, what do you think is the root problem of this issue? And what would you suggest for change? I think we're just too divided as a, like, society. We let the wrong people get a hold of power, like, who don't have good enough morals, you know? Like, who are just power and money hungry. We have people who genuinely cared about everybody. I feel like it would change a lot. Yeah, money plays a big, major influence in the circumstance. And um, connections, people who know people who know people, you know, are friends with people. And these people are rich, and they also want to get in positions where they could influence or not really influence, but have superiority over other people, and they're not the right people for it. So change. How do we change the situation? We need somebody who's, I don't know, like who has some sort of influence in the world that's actually willing to help and then get the right connections with people who don't have fortunate circumstances, who are actually good people. I agree with that. I feel like we just need to get more positive role models out there than like the negative ones who are like money hungry, power hungry. We just need more genuine people out there trying to make the world a better place. The officers involved in this particular case (laughs) that have been charged, they were African-American. They were black. Um, And I was wondering, how did that change your perception about this case, or did it affect your opinion on it at all? Um, it just kind of made me think if, like, the batch that they were just kind of represents power instead of, like, protection nowadays. Because, like, anybody wearing the batch could do anything terrible, and they aren't held accountable, like how somebody else on the streets would be. Yeah, definitely involves hierarchy. But um, like my chief said, she said something about how it's like brainwashing. They're all brainwashing each other to, you know, think similar ways. And that kind of influences the system. So they bring that to the people who aren't connected and like who commit small crimes and they kind of like overdo it. So we were contacted by a professor 
who was listening to coverage of the Nichols case, and she contacted us to say she wanted to share her opinion that those black officers suffered from what she called internalized racism. And that's a big term, if you've never heard it. What does that statement mean to you, Jameer? I don't know if this is right, but I think they're being around white people so long that they just rather stick to that certain few. You know, there's black people who, you know, rather stick with a certain group of people compared to the other. And they're just so used to it that they think they're above the black people who aren't in their position or who might be a little different. Okay. Najee, what do you think when you hear that term, internalized racism? I just think they weren't educated on where they come from, like, genuinely. I think they were fed lies to the point where they just don't want to speak on it and just hate themselves. So, like, they just shy away from it. Well, here's what that professor had to say. Maybe these officers that were beating this young man were seeing him through the lenses of the oppressing group. So they're looking at them through the eyes of the community they want to belong to. They mm. want to be part of the oppressing group. And so they start acting and seeing things through those lenses. You start believing. At the end of the day, they're Black, but if they can't accept themselves, and they're not really what they say they are. They can't respect other people. They can't respect themselves. Then they're not Black. They're just some group of people that, I don't know, they don't know who they are. And that's really disrespectful to a group of black people in the community because we all know who we are. You know, I'm black, he's black, you're black, you know? And we know that. And I respect that. And I appreciate that. (laughs) So you feel that they don't really embrace who they are? They don't. Mm -mm. And I don't know who influenced their minds to think that way, but it's there and it's probably sticking and it's probably going to go on through a generation. And that's how the system gets how it is. It builds up. So I don't know about it changing, but it's definitely going to take a lot of influence, a lot of time in a lot of different directions. Najee, what do you want to say about this idea proposed that these officers were struggling with their own form of racism by being a part of this police department? I think her assertion, I agree with it because I feel like even learning not too long ago about the like origins of policemen, they were like there to protect the slaves on the plantation and stuff. So I think those officers are being fed stuff like their codes that they have, everything. That's just making them feel different about their people. So it's like they're not one of us and they're his they're officers and we're just, you know, I don't know how to explain it but My name's Leon Jenkins and I and I'm a senior in high school. So you've been hearing this discussion I've had with Jameer and Najee. Mm-hmm. What do you want to add to it? I think uh, what policing has did today um, to black communities and black people has caused a, it's like a racial trauma. Yeah. Like, racial trauma. Yeah. Yeah, racial insecurity. You know, even some some people, like they, they you know, separate themselves from, from other people because they hate their skin so much. You know what I mean? And they don't, you know, they dislike their own. So, you know, that that probably turned, like, the situation. Yet again, they felt like they had power, like the white man. So, therefore, they did what they did because they have power to do that. 
How did that make you feel to know that they, the officers were black? It made me feel like, you know, my own skin is traded against me, you know, but still, I, I can't, like, you know, I can't think for nobody else. Yet again, I can't set nobody else's goals to be what they want to be or to do what they want to do, especially when they have the power to do it. How did hearing what happened to Tyree Nichols affect you? It was over something pretty petty, too, you know what I mean? It was no need, you know? It was it was no need for, you know, all that. They could have sorted that out in a different way. What about you personally? How does it make you feel make to feel. see someone mm-hmm. who looks like you or looks like they could, as, as um, the other people said, could be their cousin, could be yeah. their uncle, could be their dad. Uh, how does that make you feel just as you move about society and walk around? It makes me feel, you know, I'm always going to have myself, but it still makes me feel unsafe. You know, it makes me feel anything can happen to me. You know, always stay on my tent and things like that when I'm walking around. You know, I never let my guard down when I'm walking around. It may look like it, but I'm not. But still, it makes me feel like the people... Even on people that look like me could still do something dangerous to me, even though I haven't did nothing. It's still the same as the white white man in a uniform, you know what I mean? It feels like the same. A black man in a uniform can have the same power to that. Some of the other students talked about change and the need for change in policing, in mm-hmm. really society. Mm-hmm. What changes would you propose? I suppose that... Um, sheriffs or law enforcement in general, you know, they chop it up with the um, with black leaders. Like, they just talk to black leaders and see if they can make new laws or new changes to protect the black people in the community, especially when getting pulled over. So what can young people do? And, and you, uh, Jameer and Najee, feel free to jump in. What can young people do moving forward with you know, post-George Floyd, now post-Tyree Nichols, what should you all be doing and what role can you all play in the change? I think a role we could play in the changes as we get older, like, forget being rappers and stuff like that. We need more, like, role models out there. So, like, if you got good intentions and you want to be a cop, I think you should go do that and make it known, like, make your voice known, you know? Like, fight for what's right if you believe and don't give up on that. I feel like too many people will be giving up on what's right because there's t- too much struggle to get it. But I feel like if you keep grinding, there could be something good to come out of it, but it's going to take a lot of perseverance. Jameer, what do you want to say about that? Personally, I think we should stick together as a community, but as a person, you just need to have your own back because you really don't know anybody out there. As a black man, if I walk outside at night and I see a cop, it might be scary. It might be dangerous, but I just got to make sure I'm there for myself, confident, and, you know, ready to handle any situation that could happen. Because I really don't know. I just hope I come back home safe to my mom. What about the changes in policing? What what could you all do to raise your voices in that area? Mm. Or do you believe you can? Or do you believe you would be heard? Do you think Um, you would be listened to? I think as of right now, we wouldn't be listened to. I feel like they would make it seem like it for, like, the public standpoint. But when it comes down to it, I don't think they would. 
Yeah. Yeah, honestly. But um, like, it's always gonna be their prejudice outside in the world. It's always gonna be somebody who's against one person for a reason, like race, personality, type, body, I don't know. Just, there's always gonna be somebody who doesn't like another. And that's gonna influence another person. And that's gonna influence another person. And it gets to a point where it's gonna stick. And that person's gonna just kids too. Have it hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kids too, like they put that into the kids, you know. They make the kids like they bring like they from the day one that they're born, they teach their kids to be prejudiced and, you know, against a certain color or you know a certain culture and you know they dislike them the most and they just bump it down bump it more down and down and down and like it runs down the bloodline now so now your family's family family is all prejudice and you know there's no stopping that I want to bring in uh, the teacher who really started this conversation, Janet Damon, here at Delta High School. Throughout this whole conversation, uh, Ms. Damon has been beaming with pride in the corner, nodding her, nodding her head, and, you know, reacting to the things that her students said. So bring us back to when you raised this conversation. Well, I think when we have an opportunity, especially in teaching history, is that we are actually living through history, every experience, everything that happens. So this moment where there is this national conversation in that who is kept safe by the police? Is it equitable? Do people feel confidence that they're going to be um, heard, that they're going to be treated with dignity and respect? So this was a moment where, especially with these particular students, um, I have never worked with a more brilliant and more insightful and reflective group of youth who bring together so many different life experiences of their own. And so this particular moment, I really wanted to provide a space for them to listen both to each other um, and for us to have this conversation. And I learned something every time. Um, there's a student who couldn't be with us right now. He had to go to college tour, but he said, why don't we recruit officers from helping professions? Why don't we recruit the officers who have the kind of mindsets and characteristics that we know are going to be beneficial? We allow people to kind of self-select themselves and they give them enormous power. Um, and we are really seeing a resistance towards accountability. So, you know, um, and that's when, uh, you know, I think about some of the conversations we had in class around how they felt. And it also gave me this moment where I think about what's left out of our curriculum. So a lot of the students didn't really, it was only like four students, I think, who knew who Rodney King was. And so... and. For those who may not yes, know, can you explain that briefly? Who is Rodney King? So Rodney King, you know, in L.A., he was pulled over, and at that time he was brutalized by police. And I while handcuffed, while handcuffed, and this was about ninety-two. Yeah, and what struck me. It, there was almost like we had to unpack a couple things. So I had to say, like, there were not cell phones. We live in a time where everyone has a camera, everyone has a phone. But during this time in particular, it was someone with a handheld camcorder that recorded mm. that. And then to see, I said, you know, that I think he was struck 200 times in that, um, you know, by those officers. And those officers were um, acquitted and they were not convicted of a crime. And so when you think about, 
the way that there are so many historical embedded sort of practices that come about with all our institutions in the United States that some of them um, developed during a time when African-Americans still did not have rights. So one of the things we explored was that there was a period of time when you look at the 13th Amendment, it says that slavery shall be abolished except in the case of punishment. And so that loophole allows there to be a lot of exploitation around the turn of the century where laws around loitering. You could be arrested for loitering. You could be arrested for not taking a contract. You could be arrested. And then once you are arrested, you could be put into these chain gangs and you could be leased out as labor. So it was when we think about this intersection of our justice system, capitalism, power, domination um, from a historical lens, our students need to know how to navigate that. They need to know how history informs the present. And they also need to be able to radically imagine the future. And so these recommendations around uh, who we recruit to be police officers. I was going to, and we're going to be looking at some officers who came from teaching, who are professors, and how they have brought a new kind of community policing that's informed with compassion and care. Um, but we also had to look at the roots of crime. What are the roots of crime? And when we think about Dr. King and how he pointed at poverty as being this, um, an evil in our society, that, you know, what is the root of many of the misdemeanor crimes, we, we talked about addiction. You know, does that is that actually corrected by our justice system, or do we kind of profit over a lot of people who are incarcerated for crimes who don't get um, rehabilitation? And so they got to reimagine and think about what does that look like to have rehabilitation? What does it look like to have equitable systems where people are not chronically and perpetually poor? And so, um, and a lot of my students work, almost half these students in this classroom have jobs. And so they understand what it is to work and balance school. And so they deserve to feel safe. They don't, it does, they do not deserve to feel afraid of the police. They deserve to feel protected. Janet Damon, a teacher at Delta High School, and some of her students reflecting on the beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police officers. Our conversation concludes after the break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Fixing an entire education system isn't simple. It's like, oh, it's not equity, it's CRT. And it's like, do you even know what is CRT? They can't tell you a thing, but they can tell you that it's racist. I'm Joe Erickson, and Systemic from Colorado Public Radio is back for season two, asking hard questions about the American education system. Systemic returns January 10th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Let's wrap up our conversation with the class of Janet Damon at Delta High School, an alternative school in Denver, talking about the police beating death of a young black man by the name of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. The case has sparked outcry for changes in policing here in Colorado and across the country, but it's also been emotional because his death was captured on video and has been shared publicly. We visited with Janet Damon's class in 2022 in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. We talked to her students about mental health and how they cope with stress and depression and anxiety related to race and related to just being, you know, a human being mm -hmm. navigating the world. Uh, and one of the things that really was important about it to you was that these are young people who attend a school 
they have extra challenges. And despite these unique life experiences, you felt like their voices are rarely heard. And they have a very unique perspective, as you said, students with extra challenges that maybe some average high school students don't have. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the backgrounds of the students you have and how you feel it's important that their voices be heard specifically? Yeah. So when we think about Delta, Delta is a a place for students who haven't always found success in some of our traditional high schools. And when we think about that, I think that means that where was the support? Like some of my students talk about being in classes that were super crowded and that they didn't get one-on-one time with the teacher. Or um, maybe they have a schedule where they work. Many of my students leave from school and then they go to work. And sometimes they're not getting home until midnight. And when you think about them doing two hours of homework on top of that, is that really achievable? Is that really feasible? Um, a lot of my students, they help their families. They are um, they they contribute. They participate in that. Um, some of my students have endured losses. Some of them have had um, the loss of a parent. Some of them have, uh, you know, especially as a mom, I would say this is the first school I've worked at where um, I want to say I know of at least like seven or eight students who have had the death of a mother or a death of a father in their family. So mm. when you think about what they're able to then bring in terms of their life experience to me, I, I work at a school basically for warriors. These are these are folks who could not be broken by systems. They are continually problem solving and figuring out how they're going to achieve their dreams. And that is what makes them such powerful thinkers. They do not accept just a dominant narrative. They question because questioning and getting the right answer is a part of survival. Um, so whereas I think a lot of times these are the kids where Uh, Their wisdom is actually deeper a lot of times than some people I talk to who things have been really easy. You know, these are folks who've had to, like, overcome. And it wasn't just like, okay, here, you know, like, you're just going to skate on through. These were folks who had to, like, work hard at it. And so the hard work in this school is phenomenal. Student athletes, there are students who work and are athletes and coming to school and doing work. So that's what makes them so special. Um, And I'll also say that... One of the things that um, I think these students in particular bring is a deep respect and regard for one another. So um, the way they treat each other is really, to me, also this is a microcosm for how we should treat each other in the world. And so they can teach us so much about how to respect each other. And I already have a personal anecdote to share. As I was walking in, uh, Jameer held the door for a fellow student and also held the door for me as I Mm. walked in. And I said, thank you, not knowing that he would be the person I'd be talking to today. So what surprised you most in this discussion about the Tyree Nichols case? When we I asked the question, what can be changed or can it be fixed? Can if policing can be fixed, how? And if it cannot be fixed, then why? And when we went around and looked at their tables, I was amazed at how many students felt like in both classes that it cannot be repaired. Mm. And that made me both concerned and saddened because one thing I think we cannot rob from any generation is this belief that the world can be better. Because once we eradicate that hope, then we stop the reimagining of these systems. So once you think that the world did not exist without um, like racism. There were some of my students who I was working with in elementary at one point, and one of the students said, 
wait a minute, there wasn't always racism? And I thought to myself, if you believe that racism has always existed, then you will believe that racism will always exist. But when you recognize through historical inquiry that racism is a construct that evolves out of this complex justification for the enslavement of people from Africa and it's used to justify how you will continue to oppress them, then you recognize, oh, we need to dismantle that because that is not true, that's based on lies. But when we're not teaching this kind of complex history, then we are stealing from children and young people this understanding that the world is as we create it. We are creating this world, it is us. So when we think about policing, policing can change because we can change. There's a group of students sitting here with us observing our conversation and just wondering if anyone had something that they wanted to say about this, about anything you've heard. Well, I'm tough. Uh, I'm 16 and I go to Delta. I would like to add, like, me personally, I think pretty much anyone could change. Like, deep down, anyone, you just need to get to that point of pushing yourself to be able to change because really anyone can it's just the soul of the human body if you push yourself hard enough anything you could achieve anything so back to the Tyree Nichols case specifically do you have some thoughts on that mm, it was bad but that's what got us to where we are today that fight and everything that happened is who we are today and all the stuff that we have is because of them what do you think about what happened? Like, what's your personal reaction to what happened? Have you seen the video? Mm-hmm. Tell us uh-huh. what you experienced in the video and watching it. I felt bad. So what do you think should happen to these officers? I feel like, I feel like, like I said, they can change, but it would take a while, and I feel like they should get more punishment for what they've caused. Because, I mean, like, you see cases of where people got shot and killed and they aren't even fined and it's just hard how do you feel about that me personally like me being white it's like my people are doing this and it kind of hurts a little bit because like i don't want this to happen i just want life to like live we don't need to kill each other i just want life to be good but it's not and i want to like change life so it can be good but Right now, it's not. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to say anything? My name is Alex Ramirez. I'm a junior in Delta High School. What's next? What should we be doing? To be honest, I think policing, like the, the way that policing is right now, it could be changed. Like, there's a lot of different comp- uh, a lot of different um, countries that like don't stop you for like speeding. They will give you just tickets through mail. Like, I would like to see that happen more. So, so like, fewer interactions. So just fewer. I don't want to interact personally with a police officer for minor offenses. Yeah, like I do feel like some minor traffic incidents do elevate to like being handcuffed, being like assaulted by officers or like maybe even possibly being killed by them, too. And I think like we shouldn't have that type of um, the cops having to stop for just like some offenses like that. So what should we be doing with this moment? We have a long list of cases and, you know, it's getting to the point where the list is so long in terms of people who are focused on this issue. It just seems like another case, another hashtag, another name. So 
what should we be doing now to make the change that you suggest? Um, the way I see it is like, I think cops should be held more liable for like what they do, especially with body camera footage, like with George Floyd, how the officer, I think it took like a few weeks for him to get arrested and be charged for something. I heard about that. Um, I think we should be like, as soon as like the video's out and like there's evidence that he's done something, like he should be charged for it instead of just waiting for something to happen to him. So you think one of the one of the things that would help is the officers who are accused of these situations that they are that they face a high penalty, they face prison time, they face charges. You feel like that would help like prevent these things from happening. Yeah, and I think we should have like more like a longer training for policing as well. Did it affect you at all or did you have an opinion at, at all about the fact that these officers were black? when a lot of this movement is about the belief that white officers target people of color or people from certain marginalized groups? Um, I think they said something about it, how like um, some people don't like to stick with like their own color. Where I have seen that like in school and all that, like where kids, certain kids would just like hang out with other kids just because they don't like their own race. And I think that's what like sort of affects like how kids are with each other and how people interact with each other as well. Jameer, Najee, Leon, Alex, and Miss Janet Damon, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. Mm-hmm. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Janet Damon is a teacher at Delta High School, an alternative school in Denver. Some of her students shared their thoughts about the beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police officers, a case that has sparked national outrage and discussions about police reform here in Colorado and across the country. When we come back, were the black officers charged in the case experiencing internalized racism? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Many Western stories are immigration stories. In her new book, Western Journeys, author Chiao Lim Go explores her journey from Singapore to Denver and asks questions for all Westerners. What it means to be Native, what it means to be an immigrant, what it means to pastoral. Join Colorado Matters as we meet the author in a virtual event Thursday the 23rd. Free tickets at CPR.org slash turn the page. With support from Shining Mountain Waldorf School. We've been hearing from students at Delta High School, an alternative school in Denver, sharing their feelings about the beating death of a young black man named Tyree Nichols by police officers in Memphis. The fact that the officers charged in the case are black came up a lot in our talk, and it was also mentioned by civil rights activist Al Sharpton during his eulogy at Nichols' funeral last week. And the reason why... Mr. and Mrs. Wells, what happened to Tyree is so personal to me is that five black men that wouldn't have had a job in the police department would not ever be thought of to be in an elite squad. In the city that Dr. King lost his life, not far away from that balcony, you beat a brother to death. There's nothing more insulting 
and offensive to those of us that fight to open doors that you walk through those doors and act like the folks we had to fight for to get you through them doors. Dr. LaAngela Sawaya is a professor at the School of Public Health at the University of Colorado, Denver. She says the actions of those officers should not be excused, but they may have been experiencing what she calls internalized racism. It's something she thinks should be included in discussions about police reform and training. Welcome, Dr. Sawaya. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chandra. Now, you reached out to us here at Colorado Matters to say, and I quote, The police brutality aspect has become the major issue explored in the news, yet the potential role of internalized racism has not been sufficiently addressed, to my knowledge. And you, of course, are a Ph.D. and a medical doctor who has worked in public health and also conducted trauma research, which I would imagine gives you a pretty unique and informed perspective on this topic. So share with us what you think needs to be said here about the role or potential role of internalized racism in terms of the officers accused of beating to death Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. So when I heard about the episode, my first reaction was, oh my God, we haven't learned much. And then I heard the second part that the officers identified as Black. Mm. And and then I was very confused. I was kind of, what? It was confusing until I brought up from my knowledge of racism and discrimination, the internalized racism, which is an often neglected aspect of racism, um, the personally mediated racism when somebody beats somebody or offends somebody directly by racial slurs, by police brutality, by calling them names and so forth. But the internalized racism, when someone starts to see themselves through the lenses of the oppressing group. As an example, when I go to a meeting and I am afraid that people are going to think, oh, she's here because of a quota, or she's here as a token against discrimination, that we we were doing a good job at diversity. So that's the personally mediated one, which rarely happens. But then there is the other one where like, when you start thinking, am I here because of a quota? Am I here just as a token about diversity? And I start thinking about maybe these officers that were beating this young man were seeing him through the lenses of the oppressing group. So they're looking at them through the eyes of the community they want to belong to. They Mm want to be part of the oppressing group. And so they start acting and seeing things through those lenses. You start believing. You also shared with me a piece that appeared in the Los Angeles Times, an op-ed entitled, What finally sunk me on the Memphis videos? Five Black officers embrace a racist depravity. Here's some of what was mentioned in that article. Cop of all colors embrace a bedrock notion that Blackness is suspect, dangerous, and punishable by injury or death. The racial optics of the Nichols killing are awful, but no more or less awful than all the other cell phone and body cam footage we've seen in other cases with other cops. And this is hardly the first time that officers of color have been involved in high-profile brutality. So what is your reaction to the message in that article? When internalized racism takes over, right? It takes over your reactions, your ability to relate to somebody who is 
also a victim of racism, because that's what unites people of color, right? We are under the same umbrella of being discriminated and experienced racism. So I sometimes tell my students when I train them, and especially medical students or any healthcare providers, I said, you are trained to ask, which race do you identify with? And I said, well, is that as relevant as have you ever been a victim of racism? Have you ever felt racist towards you? Mm. It's usually the characteristic that puts all these people together. I mean, you put Latinos and, and Asians and American Indians and Alaska Natives, and you talk about them as racial and ethnic minorities. And I feel like what do we really have in common is the fact that we've all been victims of discrimination, mm. one point or another. And what that does to your psyche is that you can't always be aware of the only way to bring internalized racism to the surface and and start addressing it is by talking about it and i wanted to talk about if you allow me about nelson mandela describing of course the, the south african leader the first, yes. yeah of anti-racism and the anti-apartheid at the time and he describes in his book he was going to board the plane, but the pilot made a point of coming out of the airplane to introduce himself to Mandela, and mm -hmm. the pilot was black. And Mandela describes his fear of going into an airplane that was piloted by a black pilot. And the fear was real. I, I thought it was, it was not possible. That's terrifying. I, I don't want to go into a plane that it's piloted by a black pilot. And mm -hmm. it took him more than a moment to bring the internalized racism to the surface and said, what am I doing? What am I thinking? Why am I feeling that way? Just to be clear, it sounds like you're getting at that even Nelson Mandela, obviously known for his work in abolishing apartheid in South Africa, he's saying that he had been so taught and I guess to some degree brainwashed into believing in the inferiority of Black people, yeah. that even he questioned the qualifications immediately of this pilot to fly him. And so you're saying that in relation to the Nichols case, these officers also question the validity, you know, value of Black life and Black people, although they themselves are Black. Black. So you start to believe that the white man's ice is really colder, that you need to go buy ice at the white man's store because it's colder, because mm. it's better. It's the look of frustration of somebody who is like Mandela was being served by a black pilot. Instead of pride, the immediate reaction may be, oh my, maybe he's there because of a diversity token or because somebody's trying to show off that they are not racist. And would, how can they be qualified? They're black. This case has been a, a talker. It's been a hot topic. It's been very emotional. And I would say the two common denominators I've seen in the conversations that I've seen are this universal belief that I will not watch this video. Like people are like, I've had enough. I don't want to see it. I believe it. And there's been debates about the value of that. The other part is that no one that I've witnessed has any empathy for these officers. And I know you have also been vocal to say, I'm not suggesting we should have empathy or not prosecute them fully yeah. and that type of thing. But mm -hmm. why is it important to look at this aspect? Like some people may say that it's giving them an excuse. I don't want to give 
the people who are defending these officers any excuse. But I do think about the families of those police officers. They're going to be in the shadow of this and not understanding either, probably very confused about why would my friend, my brother, my husband, my boyfriend do something to one of our own. Mm. And, and I think about them and I kind of, oh my. And I think about the future and I think about what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to increase the trainings. We're going to do this. And we say, oh, yeah, but you're still not going to address because most of the trainings don't address internalized racism. And it's not something anybody can do. But, mm. but somebody who really understands the mind and how it works and stuff needs to be able to train people to bring that to the surface and address it appropriately so it doesn't happen again. And, and I'll continue to fight for this not to happen again, what happened to Irene Nichols, but I'm very scared it will. Doctor, thanks so much for sharing your perspective. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Dr. Angela Sawaya is a tenured professor of public health and surgery at the University of Colorado, Denver. She's also the author of the book, Chasing Equity. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. This is CPR News and KRCC. Thank you.